Now, this morning, you can probably see on this table, I brought some vintage cameras with me so that you could uh, just kind of get a taste of what old looks like. And uh, they don't make these anymore. Uh, these are amazing. Uh, this is, there are several different brands up here, but this is called the Argus camera. And uh, trust me, the quality of pictures this camera makes or made is not the same as you get on your phones today. But this camera probably took many pictures at Christmas, on vacations, uh, and they were black and white for the most part. And when they turned color, we were all excited. For those that are under 45 or 45 and over, how many know what I'm talking about? Good times. All right. All right. For those, some of you are lying, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway. Uh, now, here's one thing I want you to know about this camera. As, uh, all, all of these cameras, I want you to know this. Every one of them are broken. Every one. And uh, uh, it, it, the reason they're broken is because they were used. Somebody pushed the button one too many times. That's why this is probably broken. It, I, I asked if there was any way to make it work. And, and I borrowed these actually from Jessie Munson. She collects these. And so... Uh, she said, no, none of them work. So they're all broken. Why don't you just turn to somebody next to you and say, you know what, you're just like the camera, you're broken. Don't look at me, yeah. Yeah. So uh, what I'm saying is people, just like this camera, they can get broken. They can be used and they can be abused. And when they do that, they can get their button pushed too many times. And then they're on, they're on the shelf maybe for a while. If you're a member of the human race, you know what it's like to have your buttons pushed, to be broken to some degree, and not be used anymore. Many years ago, a Nashville newspaper decided to do a special set of articles. This is way back. And uh, they were asking for articles. They wanted to do these articles on people suffering from a broken heart. So they asked some local pastors to submit names from the local community to those that they knew had a broken heart. The newspaper would then look them up, interview them, and write, them, write their story. One insightful pastor sent the newspaper, now some of you won't know what this is, a local telephone book. <laughs> and uh, they sent it for the whole city. In other words, this pastor, who was very insightful, said, I just want you to know, everybody in Nashville has a broken heart in some way or another. And that's the greatest problem today, is a lot of people feel unwanted, uncared for, undeserved, or, or deserted, and, and they, they are thought by people to be actually unloved. So today, I want to talk to you about how being with Jesus brings breakthrough for the broken people. All right? Now, we said our key verse for this year is uh, Acts uh, 4.13, and it goes like this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's our key for this. Just be with Jesus. It doesn't matter how educated you are, how rich you are, whatever. Just be with Jesus, and things can happen. Because when you're with Jesus, miracles happen in your life. John wrote this book, the book of John, based on 21 days of Jesus' life. 
that he and his, uh, that John and his, his buddy disciples were with Jesus. And everywhere Jesus went, it seemed like miracles, signs, and wonders happened. And they learned that Jesus can do anything for anybody, anywhere. In this book, there's only seven miracles that happened in those 21 days. And the reason he did that is to help us believe who Jesus is. That's the whole idea. In this book, the word believe is used over 98 times. And here's what it says. Here's the whole reason for the book, John 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So uh, John gives us enough information uh, about Jesus to build our faith so we can make a decision to serve him. And once we do that, then Jesus says, I want to do the same works that I did through you in your life through the power of the Holy Spirit so broken people can be healed. All right? So I don't know if you know this, but Jesus loves broken people. All right? And, and he came to announce that in Luke four eighteen. This is what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And I just want to say, not only are brokenhearted people here today, but captives are here. You're, you're captive by something or you need recovery for something in your life. And Jesus is here to set you free. Now, here's, here's what the word brokenhearted means. It's an interesting word. It's actually two words, and it means the rubbing against something. It was a, used, a word used for kindling a fire where you take two sticks and rub them together where uh, you would rub them so fiercely that a fire would ignite. Kind of reminded me, I was thinking as I was reading this, about when I was in grade school, and this guy came up to pick a fight with me, stuck out his chest and bumped my chest, and I'm bumping back, and the next thing you know, there's some fierce rubbing going on there, and it turns into a fight, all right? And people who do that, one of them's gonna get crushed or broken to pieces. That's what the word means. And that is because life rubs so hard sometimes against some people's lives that the end result is that they are brokenhearted. Uh, they, they are crushed by the things that have rubbed so hard against their life, and, and then they feel used up and useless. Now, in John 5, there's a little story that if you came in, you're broken today, this story should be a great encouragement for you. If you need a breakthrough in your life, this is a great story. Well, there's this man who found himself in a broken situation, and he was in the right place at the right time, and unbeknownst to him that day, when this crippled guy got up to come to, to the pool, he left his house. However, he got there, I don't know if he was carried or walked, but he got to the pool of Bethesda, and little did he know that Jesus would pass by his life. So in John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So he, he's on his way to Jerusalem to go to the feast. Verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which means... Jesus has a meeting within the meeting. He's going to the feast, but he stops, takes a left, whatever it might be, goes into this 
the sheep gate uh, to the pool of Bethesda, which is called, it says here, in Hebrew, Bethesda, having five porches. You might, this is not on your notes, but you might want to write this down somewhere. Bethesda means house of mercy, which sounds good, but in truth, what this place was, was a house of misery. How many know our houses, we can name them all we want, but what they are comes out. And so sick people were all over the place. And verse 3 says this, In these, or under these five porches, lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, and uh, I can add on there, the addicted, the gossips, the cynics, whatever it is. And it says, they were waiting for the moving of the water. Now, in certain translations, it just skips verse 4, goes straight to verse 5. So all you need to know for now is verse 5, and then we'll try to address verse 4 a little later. Verse 5 says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, a sickness or weakness, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well. Now, I believe Jesus looked for the worst situation. I believe that Jesus looked for the most broken person out of all the multitude of people that were there. And I believe he looked for the person who was in the worst condition for the longest time. So he finds this guy, he goes straight up to him. And I think sometimes, I want you to hear this, I think sometimes we think God can only deal with the most presentable parts of our lives. If anybody really knew what I was really like, they would reject me. But I want you to know today, you've got to be willing to expose the unpresentable parts of your broken life if you want to be healed. You've got to be willing to expose it and say, this is where I'm at. My button's been pushed too many times. I've been on the shelf too long. I'm addicted. I'm forgotten. Whatever it might be. And I'm telling you, Jesus will walk straight up to your life, but he'll ask you this question. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be well? Today, I believe this is the right place at the right time where breakthrough begins, all right? So I used to hear a hard saying, uh, I think, growing up. It actually sounded good. God helps those who help themselves. In fact, many people say, in the Bible it says, God helps those who help themselves. And I remember being in Bible college and somebody said that to me. So I, I looked it up, did a little digging, and I found out that was not in the Bible at all. It's accredited to Benjamin Franklin, who wrote in the 1757 edition of Poor Richard's Almanac, which he wrote himself, for that quote. It's not in the Bible. And what, I, what I've discovered from this story is God does not help those who help themselves, but he helps those who can't help themselves. That's what he does. So here's a man who's unable to do something for himself until Jesus comes along and gives this man a breakthrough for his brokenness. Now, there's two overarching truths in this story. You can write them down. I've already made mention of them a few times. People can get broken. In other words, life happens, and oftentimes life happens in such a way it's not the way you planned on it working out. All right? And then number two, Jesus loves to heal brokenhearted people. And the reason why is that brokenness impedes God's purpose and plan for that person's life. 
You're not here by accident. You're not even in this room by accident today. You're here because the Holy Spirit led you here. Even though you think you might have came for a baby dedication, you're here because God led you here. And I just want you to know, whatever it might be, God wants to change your life. And there's a lot of people, you need to know, you're on the face of the earth uh, to fulfill God's purpose for your life. And then he wants you to partner up with him to win the lost world for him. Verses 8 and 9 say this. Jesus said to him, so he gives him a command, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. So how did this man become broken? Three ways that people can become broken, at least... There's probably more, but I'll give you three, all right? Number one, circumstances. So we know this man had a debilitating sickness, and it would even come, uh, uh, we don't know if it came later in his life or if he was born that with it, but which means this. I think he was probably happened later in life, and uh, which means there's a possibility the guy could have been married or, or married at one time, but there's no record of his wife. Now, I say that because so often, when there's a circumstance of, of being broken by a physical disease, uh, it puts enormous pressure on the marriage relationship. You probably don't know this, and never even heard this statistic, but 75% of marriages where there is chronic sickness uh, end in divorce. And that is because the spouse, the caregiver, is frightened at the prospect of long-term care, and 75% of the time, those folks will flee the marriage. So I just want you to know, if you know someone who's under that kind of pressure, go encourage them, bless them, see what you can do to help them. So circumstances can rub against a person's life and render that person crushed and broken. Another way people come, become broken is through other people. It says in verse 3, in these porches uh, lay a, a, multi, a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the water or for the moving of the water. So it's important for you to know that in ancient cultures, they did a lousy job of caring for sick people. They, they did not have hospitals and programs like we have today. So if you were sick and if you were broken back then, you would become a beggar or you, and, and, and sit on the streets or at the gates or you would simply congregate if you knew the sick, where the sick people were. And in this case, it was at the Pool of Bethesda. Now, at the Pool of Bethesda, uh, there's, and there's still evidence of this pool today. Uh, Lois and I, uh, I, I do think it's funny when you go to Israel, sometimes they make things up and they'll say, well, th- we believe this was a Pool of Bethesda. We, we have no idea, but they, they'll, they'll tell you that. So they'll go, oh, wow, you know, that's pretty cool. But anyway, uh, so we think we saw the Pool of Bethesda and it's a rectangle and uh, it, it was fairly large and it had two to three feet in it. And, uh, uh, and it was by the sheep gate. And that's because they would bring sheep into the city and they would uh, clean them up and get them ready for sacrifice. And then verse 3 tells us there was a great multitude of sick people. Now, one commentator that I, I looked up said, on an average day, there were 300 sick people around that pool. But when festivals came about, there were almost up to 3,000 sick people around that pool. Can you imagine? Now, think about this. Sheep being cleaned and unbathed people all sitting around this pool. It's not hard to figure that out, but the, there was a definite, definite unpleasant odor coming from that place. Now, 
Why were they there? Because it speaks of the moving of the water. And evidently there was some subterranean spring that fed this pool and caused the water to bubble up uh, every now and then. So in that culture, the people believed it was an angel that did the stirring, and that is why it is written in some of the older translations, but in most ancient manuscripts, it doesn't say the angel stirred the water. So it is believed that a scribe, uh, and trying to, de- to decipher all of this, wrote it in such a way that we would know what that culture believed in that day. And, and I'm bringing this to your attention because this is how many broken people feel today. They're saying, God, I just feel like I need you to touch me. I need you to help me. I need you to come through for me. And they uh, gather around hoping. But what happens is their hopelessness turns to helplessness or the other way around, and it doesn't happen. And they feel like, like this camera. This camera, once it got used up, it got isolated, and it got put on a shelf, sort of like this or like this camera. And here's what I mean by that, is there are, there are among churches and many communities, people who are sitting on the shelf, feeling isolated, and they feel unused and unwanted. And that's the way many of the homeless feel today. They feel like, we don't care. And that's not true, and we do care, but, and then when you do try to care, some don't want to really be cared for. Uh, they, and then people in the rest homes feel like <clears throat> they're on the shelf. People have diseases, can't function like they used to. They feel like they're on the shelf and washed up. And disabled people can feel this way as well. So these people feel broken and they can feel ignored. And this man feels that way. He's broken by circumstances. He's broken by people, by where he's been put. And the third way people get broken is by time. It says, now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there in verse 6, six uh, he knew that he'd already been in that condition a long time. I mean, 38 years is a long time. That's almost four decades. And he said to him, do you want to be made well? Now, here's a man where time had taken its toll. Not only uh, has he been broken by circumstance and by the relegation of a place that people put him in, but he got up every single day with the same reality. So his helplessness has turned to hopelessness and, and it goes on for uh, decades. Now, it, it doesn't sometimes, uh, here's, here's what I want you to hear. People have said to me, time heals everything. And I just want you to know it doesn't. Time does not always heal everything. Sometimes the longer time takes, protracts, and elongates, it feels like an eternity to a person in this condition, and they spiral spiral downward into helplessness and hopelessness. And it's that daily pressure, day after day and week after week, where they, they, it adds up and they just feel crushed and rubbed down by circumstances, people, and time. Now, let me just give you a few ways, this is not in your notes, but how is brokenness expressed? And you can see it around us, and some of you are in these conditions today. It's, it's expressed by depression. People get depressed. It's expressed by anger. It's expressed by substance abuse. It's expressed by isolation and being antisocial. It can be expressed through suicidal thoughts. Uh, Another way is others will self-injure themselves. It's called cutting. This is where you you injure yourself of emotional problems 
that are so pronounced that you feel you can't share them with anyone anymore and they can't put it into words so they, uh, they can't articulate the grief, uh, the shame or hurt or anger they feel. So what they do is they cut themselves so that they can be distracted from the emotional pain and get focused on the physical pain. And, and I can relate to this a little bit. I went to the dentist this week and the dentist was working on my mouth and I found myself having my hands under my legs. I thought I was fine and I realized I was tensed up and I was pinching my thighs. <laughs> Got my mind off what was going on inside my mouth. But anyway, it works. And so that's what we do. We, we end up getting uh, pain somewhere else. All right, now how does Jesus love broken people? Number one, he observed them compassionately. The story tells us when Jesus saw him, he zeroed in on this human being, and this is really who Jesus is. It begins, I want you to know, if you want to see people that are broken healed, it depends on how you see the broken. How do you look at them? Do you despise them because they're, uh, they're homeless? Do you put them down because you know that they might have a drug habit or an alcohol habit or whatever it might be? It's how do you see broken people that will begin the healing in their lives. Number two, he interacted honestly, and I love this. I love the way Jesus talks to this guy, that, and he asks him, do you want to get well? Now, he didn't say, do you, want, do you want to be healed? He said, do you want to get well? And I've been on a couple hundred, at least 100 or more home visits in my 30-some years of ministry, and I've never once gone into a home visit or a hospital visit and being called in there and said, uh, do you want to get well? No. They asked me there to pray for them so they could get well. So Jesus, he kind of, you know, he knew this guy. He knew his condition. He knew he'd been that in a long time. And yet Jesus was really asking him this. Do you want change in your life? Do you really want a different kind of life? Are you sick and tired of doing what you're doing over and over again and getting the same result? See, change for this guy, Jesus knew this, meant laying around the pool was no longer going to be an option. It meant no longer are you going to get handouts. It meant joining a very hard workforce and working for pennies a day and and working hard with hard labor to make a living. So he's a broken man, but if he has a breakthrough, he has to take on new responsibilities and change has to come in his life. It reminds me of the days of old when I went to the old YMCA down on Market Street. And uh, I used to go in there uh, at least three to five times a week and played racquetball. And there were these two guys that were in there. One guy was six-pack, bulked up. For namesake, we'll call him Buff. (laughs) Buff was amazing. Uh, In fact, my desire was to look like Buff. But I played racquetball, and I didn't want to do what Buff did to get Buff. (laughs) Uh, I didn't want to do cardio. I didn't want to lift weights. I just, I just wanted to be Doug the Stud with, <laughs> without doing anything. Then there was another guy. We'll call him Bubba. So I went, and, and, and Bubba was there every day when I would go in. He, got, he was there before me, and he was there after me. So one day I'm talking to Buff, and I said, Buff, what do you know about Bubba. I said, I see him walking around, and, and I see him here every day before me. He's here after me. But he doesn't look like you, Buff. 
He said, well, that's because Bubba, <laughs> Bubba likes to walk around <laughs> and he, likes to, he just likes to talk to people on the treadmills and uh, Bubba, Bubba's just, he's kind of a creeper. He's just, <laughs> 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 he, he hits the sauna when he's done. Then he watches TV for a while and goes home just in time for dinner. And then he said this, Bubba has no intention of changing. And it made me think, some of you have no intention of changing. Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? Or or are you content with your condition? Do you really want a breakthrough from your brokenness? or, Or do you really want a different life? So Jesus is honest with this guy. And look what he says to him when he finds him a second time. So he heals him physically in verse 14. It says, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And I'm thinking, what? How can something worse than being lame for 38 years come upon you? But there's something far worse. It's called eternal suffering. It's called an unrepentant heart. And through the disease that had taken his best years away, unrepentant sin could take his eternity away. So think about this for a moment. Probably no one had ever spoken to this man like this. No one, I mean, you don't speak to somebody who's lame like that, but Jesus did, and here's why. Because he loved him. He loved him. See, what happens to a lot of us when it comes to the people that are suffering out there today, we feel good by giving them hand warmers, giving them a, a, a certificate to go get something to eat or whatever, but we never talk to them about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. And what happens is we feel better about ourselves enough to feel like you can go to hell if you want to. I'm not gonna, I don't want to offend you. But here's the thing. If we really care like Jesus did, loving the broken means preaching the unbroken gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we merely feed them and do nothing else, we're missing what Jesus wanted us to do. Jesus was telling this man out of love, you need to be set free from your sinful self. Jesus was telling this man, I didn't come just to heal your physical infirmity, but I came to heal your broken heart. So the question to all of us today is this, do you want it to change? Do you want you to change? The quest, this question is so important because we can come to church and leave here today unchanged and still broken. It was a place where, uh, so, so this pool of Bethesda, it was a place where you could go and be comfortable. It was a place where you could go and be around other people who had the same similar disabilities and thereby feeling more normal in your own dysfunction. So he's hanging out by the pool and he's been hanging out there so long that he's giving up on anything ever changing. And some of you are like that today and I'm telling you, God's here to change you if you'll let him. So like I said earlier, he's been there for 38 years. He's waiting for verse four to happen which I told you it's not in the NIV or NLT or the message, but it is in the New King James, and this is what it says. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down, stir up the waters. The first one in the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured, 
of whatever disease they had. And sometimes that's what we're wanting God to do for us. God, just come down and fix my life. Just come down and take care of it. So the angel would come down, stir up the waters, and the first one in the pool would get healed of whatever was wrong with them, and which put this man at a, a, a disadvantage. It, it put him at a place where the first one in wins. And it's that way. With, that's how religion works, by the way, you guys. The first one in wins. The person with the most titles. The person who can quote the most verses. The person who has the most knowledge. The person who has the best church attendance. By the way, you all get a star today for that. <laughs> but here's what grace does. Remember, Jesus is personified grace of God. So the word made flesh and the one who dwelt among us, Jesus walks up to the one who would have been last in line and said, you first. I want you to know today, the greater the brokenness, the greater opportunity for Jesus to bring a breakthrough in your life. So I, I, I just want you to know, every one of these people from hundreds to thousands were praying, God, I need a miracle today. God, I need you to heal me today. God, I need you to give me your joy. God, I need your peace. And, and, and the thing is, is they couldn't hide their physical infirmity. It was all around. But this man had some reasons why he couldn't get well. Maybe they're yours too. Verse seven says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man. You know how many single women have told me that? Pastor Doug, you don't know my sin. I have no man. You have Jesus. I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Everything this guy says is people related. Now let me just say everything the man said was true and everything he said was a fact. But I just want you to know, faith has the ability to override the facts. Let me say that again. Faith has the ability to override the facts. It doesn't matter what the facts say. It matters what Jesus is saying through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But he didn't know that. So he starts explaining to Jesus how things work around the pool church. Let let me just explain to you, Jesus, the way things work around the church pool. Uh, Jesus, I have no man. I don't have anybody. Nobody appreciates me. Nobody loves me. I have nobody to help me. And Pastor Doug never says hi to me. (laughs) You know what's kind of humorous about this story is if you go to the chapter before in John 4, Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman. He asks her for a drink. She says, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we're not supposed to be talking. And Jesus says, I could care less about what people think about you or me. Give me a drink. She says, uh, but you don't even have a bucket. And Jesus says, and I'm pra- paraphrasing, I don't need a bucket. I am the well. I, and he goes on to say, I am the living water. And if you receive what I have, uh, I just want you to know, you will never thirst again. So he's saying to her, what's in me will get in you and it will become a well that will never run dry. All right? Now, so Jesus walks up to the man at the pool of Bethesda and says, do you want to be made well? And, and, and he, I could just see him saying, uh, I saw you, couldn't get to the water. I, I, I can see Jesus saying this. I saw you couldn't get to the water, so the water came to you. 
Come, that's what it's all about. That's what breakthrough is. The living water came to him. Jesus is coming to you because you couldn't fix your brokenness, so you couldn't get to the water, so the water has come to you today, okay? So if you need something from Jesus today, guess what? You're in the right place at the right time. This is a place for breakthrough to happen for the brokenness in your life, all right? Now, uh, uh, breakthrough for the broken begins where you're in my excuses end. And Jesus, by the way, we might be saying, Jesus, I'm waiting for you to come down, but maybe, just maybe, your breakthrough is Jesus is waiting for you to stand up. He's waiting for you to get up. So verse 8 says, Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. I think Jesus was saying, when you get up, your breakthrough will come. But you've got to be willing to walk to the altar. You've got to be willing to say, I'm broken. I'm hurt. I've been betrayed. I've got all these hurts. I'm addicted. Uh, 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 whatever it might be. And God, I need you to heal my life. Here's a third thing that he did. He expected adversity when he loved people. See, breakthrough for the broken always comes at a cost. Look at these verses. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, walked, and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, uh, or asked him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. They didn't care that he was healed. They didn't care. 38 years of it, you're carrying your bed, bad boy. In verse 11, he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So Jesus withdraws in the crowd. Why? Because love has consequences. And you know what I found about the consequences about loving broken people? You can be misunderstood by people, but most of the time, it's not unbelieving people, it's religious people. Do you know why I say that? Because the, the, the adversity that I've received since we've been here is we did trunk or treat on Halloween. Do you know how many Christians came after us for doing trunk or treat on Halloween? They were up. you're worshiping Satan. You're worshiping uh, the devil's day. No, we're not. We're plundering hell and we're taking people back from Satan and giving them eternal life. We're sharing with them Jesus in the midst of the darkness. We've had people come. We, we go after prostitutes. We go after homeless. We help people. And by the way, prostitutes are welcome here. I don't know if you like that or not, all right? Now, we don't want you to be a prostitute the rest of your life, but you know. Okay, that's why we love CR, Celebrate Recovery. It takes place here every Monday night at six o'clock. Folks that are willing to address their hurts, habits, and hangups and get healed uh, because they are sick and they know it. And Jesus walks by their lives and helps them them get healed. Uh, It's at 6 p.m. tomorrow night and I can tell you, Chris and Patty, Gary and Nancy will be here to help you uh, through your healing. I believe everybody should go through CR. It's the best thing around. So Jesus loves people who are trapped in Satanism and in prostitution and addiction and religion as well. All right? Now, Jesus doesn't condone their behaviors. 
or their choices. But let me just say this. He loves them enough to pass by their life to help them get healed. There's a, there was one American artist that noticed when the Japanese men broken things that oftentimes they will aggrandize the, the damage done to the thing by filling the cracks up of the broken object with gold. So they would take this broken object and as they're filling it in with glue, they're also putting gold lines, actual gold in the cracks because they say when something has been damaged or broken, it has a history. And now it's more valuable and more beautiful than it was before. I don't know about you, but I love that, okay. You know what I love? I love the fact that here's this broken man and what a history he has. And by the way, there's no record that he even knew who Jesus was before, but Jesus comes to him twice. Aren't you glad God comes to you twice? I want you to know today God wants to heal your brokenness, but he wants to heal your broken heart more than anything else. See, this broken man, he's now mended and healed, and he became not only valuable, but he became a powerful instrument in God's hands to touch the lost world. That's what God wants to do. Let's stand. Maybe you walked in here today feeling like one of these cameras. You still look good on the outside. Nobody knows that you don't even work. But your button's been pushed way too many times and you've been on the shelf for way too long. There's a brokenness that God loves in the Bible. It says it in the Psalms. He loves a broken and a contrite heart. God loves people who come before him with humility. And when they bring their brokenness and failures to him, then God says, I can heal you, but you've got to be honest, you've got to be transparent, and let the broken pieces of your life be exposed. So here's what we're going to do. We have some time left this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to sing this song again, and as we sing this song, I'm not going to bring altar workers up here. I'm opening up the altar, and I'm asking for you to get out of your seats, to come up here, and I want you to say to the person next to you, I'll take my brokenness to God if you'll go up there with me. I'll go up there. And I'll take my brokenness to the Lord. And then as you get lined up across here, then I'm going to ask my prayer workers to come up and get behind you and ask if they can pray for you. And, and we're going to believe for God to do miracles to broken people today, all right? Heal the broken heart. So let's worship. Let's come forward. Let's fill this altar so God can heal your broken heart.